Happy Sunday, everyone. This is Amy, and welcome back to the LBC podcast. This is our second week of exploring the prayer course. Today, Jim helps us to explore the theme of adoration through Paul's doxology in Romans 11. Don't forget you can join the prayer course by Zoom on a Tuesday night. Just email prayer at lesliebaptistchurch.org.uk for more information. So here we go. This is Jim with this week's message on adoration. Good morning, church, and welcome to today's live stream. Uh, Today we're looking at the second part uh, following on from the prayer course. And today we're going to look at adoration. Now, what does that mean? In the business of life, it can be difficult to take the time or even consider the need to worship. I took the liberty of looking up a couple of Greek words, uh, surprisingly, uh, to try and get a better understanding. And the first of those is the one that's used in the Lord's Prayer that we know so well. Hallowed be your name. And what hallowed means is to reverence and honour God, but also to obey his commands in preparation for the coming of the kingdom. It's not just about words and a list of beliefs. It requires effort and action for us to live it out. The second word is the common word used for worship in the New Testament. And it means to bow down, to kiss the hand, donating adoration in the presence of the king. The hymns in Revelation are a good place to see this. They make use of varied language and ideas, constantly finding new titles of dignity with which to praise God and ascribing to him the most exalted merits and attributes, eternity, omnipotence, honour, wisdom, holiness and power in a faltering attempt to confess his name. Frequently, this takes the form of royal acclamation, worthy are you, salvation, along with hallelujah and amen. We read in Revelation chapter 7, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks, honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Through all these hymns, there runs a gloriously universal stream And in the face of adoration such as this, human petitions and thanksgivings, those things that we would ask of God, fade away into silence. Today we're going to look at one of Paul's hymns of adoration uh, as a preparation for our own worship of he who is worthy. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to read at the end of chapter 11 of Romans, uh, Paul's doxology. That's Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond trailing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. First thing that we want to look at is perspective. Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We need to get things into that right perspective. The word for depth here is bathos. It's nothing to do with baths, but it's got something to do with uh, the deep and water. And it means the extension of a thing in any spatial dimension. It's completeness. It's the same words that we use in Ephesians, uh, where Paul says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power with all the saints 
the grass how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The three dimensions we know, width and height and length, are emphasized with the addition of deep or depth, donating the vastness of what he's talking about. Brought to mind an occasion I was in Tenerife and I was swimming in the Atlantic Ocean about 100 yards offshore. Uh, and I quickly became aware of just how small I was in relation uh, to what I was swimming in, particularly as I looked out across the Atlantic towards America. Um, it's just vast um, and you just appear so minuscule and, and tiny in, those sort of, uh, city, in that situation. Consider Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. We need to realize our smallness in relation to a big, big God, but still grasp the extent of his unconditional love for us. P. Gregg says in his book, How to Pray, I have come to the conclusion that most people's biggest problem with prayer is God. They envisage him scowling, perpetually disapproving, invariably disappointed, and needing to be placated or persuaded in prayer. But Jesus says something completely different. He makes it clear in his parable of the prodigal that God is extravagantly kind, a father who comes running towards us with arms flung wide whenever we approach him, wherever we've been and whatever we've done. There is no social distancing uh, with God. Paul speaks of the depth of the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge. He's not speaking here about material wealth, but of the fullness of God, the really, truly rich one. We live in a culture which worships knowledge. So much has been written on every subject under the sun that we couldn't read it all, even if we had the time. Thank God for Google. Yet with all that knowledge, it's still incomplete. We are flummoxed by a virus. And with all our knowledge, there's still a huge lack of wisdom. Decisions are made and things are said that are not wise. Compare that with God, whose knowledge is complete and whose wisdom is incomparable. We are dust, yet Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled or emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now that's a God worthy of our adoration. Let's get things in perspective. Next thing we want to look at is the mystery. In our science-based culture, we have lost that sense of mystery, what some people would call transcendence. Everything can or will be explained through our rational thinking, except it won't. God is a complete mystery other than what he reveals of himself to us. In 1 Corinthians we read, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. If we think about Peter's confession in Matthew, we read, 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. But a few verses later, when Jesus explains to his disciples that he must suffer and die, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And again in Acts, we read of Ananias. Saul has met with Jesus on the Damascus Road. He's now blind and living in the city. God tells Ananias to go and lay hands on him for his healing. And this is what Ananias says. Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. And an example closer to home, perhaps. Before Amy came to meet with the pastoral selection group, I had a, an idea that I should take any prospective pastor up Falkland Hill so that we'd be able to see Leslie in the context of the surrounding area. Um, both Carl and Amy were wondering what on earth I was up to when we went there. It was only later that Amy shared that God had given her a dream some months before, which she had seen in real life on Falkland Hill that night. The rest is history. Well-known words from Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Paul writes in Corinthians, now we see but a poor reflection, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We will never have God all sussed out. I would love to have him sussed out, but it doesn't work like that. The mystery of God and the wonder of his revelation of himself in the face of our lack of capacity to understand ought to lead us to worship him, trusting that he knows what he's doing, even when we don't. Pete Gregg, again from his book, writes, I'm stuck with God, even when I don't understand him. Even when I don't completely like him, turns out he's all I've got. And lastly, in this passage, we look at eternity. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We live in a finite universe. Everything is a beginning and an end. So we have great difficulty in understanding eternal matters. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We are aware that there's been a time before us and there will be a future after we're gone. God has given us an inkling of the expanse of time, but no idea of timelessness. If that doesn't give you a sore head, then there's something wrong with you. However, the truth as the Bible states it remains, everything in all creation begins in him, is sustained by him, and ends in him. We really have no option but to put our trust in him, as he is the one to whom we must give an account in the end. All of this should lead us to adore him. Paul writes in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven, and on earth, visible 
and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. And again in Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth in the final consummation of all things. Living in a reality we can only guess at, forever and ever, whatever that means. The world considers our lives but a meaningless blip in eons of time. But he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The mystery of the eternal God should put everything in its perspective for us and cause us to fall before him in adoration, creating a starting point for our prayers, which we may never get past. Let's put all our lists aside and enter into the words of Wesley's great hymn, Lost in Wonder, Love and Praise. Amen. A couple of questions uh, for you to consider this week. How do we make time simply to adore God? What are the things which might hinder our worship? And what are we going to do about it? Thanks for listening. There we go, friends. I hope that was helpful for you and it's given you some ideas of how to incorporate adoration into your prayer life. If you've been keeping up with the news, you'll know that the lockdown restrictions have changed slightly in the last week as we move into the next phase on the government's lockdown route map. Over the next couple of weeks, the church leadership team will be working on a similar route map for the church. It may be a while before we can all be back in our building together, but we'll do our best to find ways to increase our contact as a fellowship, as government guidance allows. We'll be in touch by email, phone and letter as these things get worked out. Until then, I hope you all have a good week. Stay home and stay safe.